Hello and welcome to How to Change the World, learning from young people making a difference. With me, Daniela Timberley. This episode was recorded on Friday the 8th of January 2021. So I'm introducing you today to another Prudential alumni, um, but I will be bringing on like UK guests and Deanna Award recipients too um, in future episodes. Um, but today I'm joined with Zach Wolfson from Tennessee, USA. He is passionate about tackling teen poverty and homelessness, particularly in Nashville. Um, and he joins me now. Hi, Zach. How's it going? It's going well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Like, how's, what have you been up to over the holidays? Well, uh, for, for holidays, just uh, spending time at home with family. We, it's been really strange weather. Uh, some days it'll be like warm and sunny. And then today, actually, we got a little bit of snow. It started to melt, but... Um, oh, we've actually had snow over the last week or so, but it melted really, really quickly. And now it's just ice and rain, which is lovely. Yeah, always, always fun, especially good for, for cars. Not like we can go anywhere, but... Uh, Exactly. My petrols yeah. lasted me about three weeks at this point. <laughs> like, I, you know what I was actually thinking? Like, Prudential should literally sponsor me at this point because I've literally mentioned them in every single podcast episode so far because everyone's, like, so far has been from Prudential. But, um, like, we met so many people, obviously, from that trip. It's been, sure. like, hard to keep in contact. We were talking about that. But, um, it's, it's actually strange, though. Like, I kept in touch with, like, Ali, who I didn't really talk too much on the trip, but um, we're really good friends now. Um, so, like, who out of, like, the 2018 honorees have you kept in contact with? Like, have you been keeping up with people? So, uh, I've kept up with people a little bit. I, I definitely think we all stayed in touch more uh, immediately after the trip. So, for, for a brief while, I, I stayed in touch with... Uh, someone I don't know if you you met her on the trip. It was Anne Nygaard. Do you remember her? Oh yeah, I love her. She was so yeah. Great. So so uh, I I stayed in touch with her for a little. Um, I uh, I messaged Oscar, uh, who was my roommate during the trip a few times. So yeah, I've uh, I've stayed in touch with some people. I stayed in touch with the honoree from my my state, Tennessee. Um, Sydney Floyd, she's still doing amazing things. Um, when I actually ended up going to university, um, the the nonprofit that I was running, Threads of Care, I, I passed it on to the next person in charge because we we try to keep it as a, a high school run organization. And um, Sydney's organization, Jumble Dreams, and uh, Threads of Care ended up actually partnering on some really awesome projects, and they were they were cross promoting each other. So that was a really awesome thing that that came out of Prudential was we actually had two amazing organizations uh, partnering, getting more youth involved, and just helping other people. Like it it was it was pretty cool. So um, one of those connections turned into like an actual project, which was which was outstanding. Yeah, that's amazing. I know I like had plans to do that, and then, like, I just I I still hope to though. Like, um, I was talking um to Ali about you know her coming over and we'd go to hospitals here and like, you know, as like children with cancer and like helping her out like spreading her project here, um, which would have been really really cool. But, um, yeah, no, I stayed in touch with a few people. I didn't have any roommates, and <laughs> and um, Prudential, my roommate didn't come. So I had a big room to myself, but yeah, no, I networked as much as possible. It was, it was really, really good. I was actually, you know, it's so sad though that they didn't get like 2020 and 2021 honorees that didn't get to go to DC. Cause I think that was a huge part yeah. of the award. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. Are they doing like a big zoom call or something? Like, 
I have no idea. I think like the um, honorees from Ireland anyway who don't get the DC trip, I think they just get an extra thousand pound that go to the charity or that kind of thing. But like, I mean, that's amazing. But like the actual experience of DC was such a huge part of the award and it was such an important part as well. Like it's just it's so heartbreaking that they don't get that experience, you know? Well, the, I think the biggest thing, uh, and man, you know, honestly, Prudential really should pay you. But uh um, I think the biggest thing is that's really cool about um, the Spirit of Community Awards is that you, you meet so many other people who can inspire you to do more with what you're already doing. Uh, you know, the, the name of your podcast, How to Change the World, it's like it, it, it's like a microcosm of all these different people with all these different amazing ideas. And you hear them share something. You're like, I didn't know that was possible. And then you, you try it yourself or you, you try to implement some aspects. Sometimes you even form a partnership and you're like, wow, that was that was really fulfilling. And yeah, I, I, I'm totally with you that, um, there are going to be some people who couldn't go this year that are, that are missing out on that. And I, I hope that we can get as close to a semblance of normal soon so that people can have that experience that you and I had. Yeah, definitely. I know it's having that sort of personal connection though with people. Like when you go to meet, like, I thought it was so cool. I was like, Oh my gosh, like I'm meeting two people from every state in America. I was like, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> But um, yeah. yeah, I know. Like the minute like that, I went, people are like, "Oh, like so, what part of America are you from?" And I'm like, "Oh no, I'm from Ireland," because <laughs> my accent <laughs> sounds so different to Niles. Obviously, he's down south. Um, I was like, "Oh no, like I'm from Ireland," <laughs> and they're like, "Oh," um, but yeah. Um, let's just talk about a little bit about like why you won the award then. So, um, you mentioned a little bit about it there. Um, at the beginning, so you started your nonprofit, um, Threads of Care, in 2016, mm-hmm. um, to help impoverished teenagers and Tennessee so um I just wanted to know like why what inspired you to like start this charity well uh back in middle school I I remember learning about this really wonderful organization called the Oasis Center in uh, Nashville and I remember working with a, a few of the the parents actually because typically it's it's parents who do a lot of the charitable endeavors in in middle school um they were doing a, a coat driver. They were trying to get some coats for the uh, Oasis Center. One of them actually lived in a, a neighborhood. She wasn't even um, a parent at that school, but she was she was collecting coats. And so I thought, you know what? I It's it's the holiday season. People are, are looking to, to give um, and also get rid of their, all their old stuff through a, a sale or something. But but maybe they, they'd like to go and, and contribute and, and help some people stay warm this, uh, this holiday season. Um, and that's especially a big deal for, for children and teens, because, you know, when you're an adult, you typically can have a lot of different articles of clothing fit you, but when you're younger, it's, it's harder to, harder to find that. So I, uh, I had a coat drive, um, uh, to get everybody in the spirit, took some, uh, some, uh, gift wrap paper and wrapped it around a big cardboard box. Uh, so it was like a big present and, um, we collected around 70 to 80 coats and that was really cool. Again, that was, that was kind of the first step of things. Um, and I, I felt super proud of it. Uh, and so we, we took those to the Oasis center. Uh, I got to meet some of the people there learn about the amazing work that they're doing to help a lot of, of Nashville's homeless children and teens and just the amazing work that they do in terms of trying to help them, uh, find career, uh, stay out of trouble, get the resources that they need, because those are a lot of the things that, that really can mess up somebody's life. Um, and 
you know, I, I was just absolutely inspired. And going into high school, uh, I, I spent the first two years kind of figuring myself out, but I, I couldn't shake this amazing thing that we had done. And so after my first year, going into my second year, I decided to do the coat drive again. We collected around 120 coats. And I was like, okay, so I alone have been able to do this. I wonder what could happen if we had a bunch of people all working toward the same thing. Um, now, now, clothing is a is a pretty interesting thing that happens when 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 we talk about donating to a, a lot of different homeless shelters. Because, and in, in many ways, um, homeless shelters won't necessarily always need clothing or, or coats. Usually, they'll be like, "We we need um, we need underwear, or we need socks, or we need." Uh, we need food tickets or we need anything that can provide us the bare necessities, but, but clothing might not necessarily be what we need. But we did find that um, one of the things that was missing was, was clothing that could fit children or, or, or teens of, of certain various sizes. So um, I started the summer of 2016 brainstorming some ideas about how we could uh, address this challenge and where we could find clothing that that fits children and, and teens. And I, I looked back at the the past two, three years that I'd been doing this and I was like, well, what if we just did this in high schools across Tennessee? Um, which this is typically a demographic that a lot of nonprofits don't have access to. Um, I forget the, the exact code, but uh, I believe that, that nonprofits aren't allowed to directly operate in high schools. Um, but if a high schooler is starting the uh, initiative almost as if it's it's a club, so to speak. It's, it's a lot easier to pull off. So um, we ended up forming Threads of Care, uh, which is when I ended up going to Prudential Spirit of Community Awards for. And um, we started collecting clothing. Uh, we, we had our first winter drive um, during the winter uh, of 2016. And we ended up collecting several thousand articles of clothing. I think it may have been about 2600 so 2600 um and then the the number just kept growing and growing each uh, each season um we started doing spring drives we started working with um local consignment sale places uh where where people would just sell their clothes off and and we would get donations after that um we we started transitioning into um raising money so that we could purchase underwear and socks cuz nobody wants to use used underwear and socks, kind of gross. Uh, and um, yeah, we we also um, raised money to donate directly to a lot of our other nonprofit partners. Uh, and, you know, a, a really cool, uh, what I would call a, a side benefit of this is that while we were helping a lot of other teens, it, our, our slogan was, was teens helping teens one thread at a time, um, we were also empowering a lot of teens who are a part of this organization to become better leaders, to to learn how to, to run a, a very substantial project, to learn how to lead large groups of people. And we started expanding uh, across our, our local area. We started going to different parts of the state of Tennessee. Um, I believe the Threats of Care, since I was its executive director, has now spread across the state. Uh, so you can go far west uh, to places like Memphis, Tennessee. Um, all the way to uh, the more eastern uh, regions of our state. And 
you know, my dream is to to see it expand beyond Tennessee. But you know, it's it's had some really remarkable growth when I was there. Um, somebody uh, named Sidonia Cannon uh, ended up taking the role on for me afterward when I went off to university, and then she passed it on to her successor, who's about to pass it on to the next successor. So, it's it's really something that's um, outlived when I created it, and I and I really feel good about that because that's something that um, is really not doesn't often happen in uh in a high school setting so kind of a long-winded story there but uh that's that's how i ended up at prudential um really really proud of what we've done and what it's still doing yeah no that's incredible like it's grown so so much and like as you said you like you help teenagers and you know like encourage them to volunteer in the community um and with threads of care and you know helping young people find a passion but um part of your website is that you have like a blog and it has um articles educating young people about like teen poverty and benefits of community service um I actually had a school through them in today um just in preparation but um I actually love one that actually goes really really well with this podcast so it's um why or why community service can change the world um it highlights how you like volunteer and impacts you as a person as well as like all the good it's doing in your community so um I wanted to ask you like how would you say community service has shaped you as a person you know, it, it's a very humbling thing to serve your community because when you when you look at it in the abstract, and and when I say abstract, I mean like the the typical community service day that like your your school might hold, or they'll be like, oh, we're we're gonna go to a a park and and pick up trash, which by the way is still a, an amazing thing to do, um, and should definitely do it. Uh, I I think it you start to get a bigger picture view of there there's more to there's more to life than just going about our days and, and focusing on ourselves um one of the one of the greatest currencies that i i think human beings have the ability to develop is is that of of giving to others um and and that's something that you really only get to experience yourself through uh community service and and so in in many ways you you create this this sense of wholeness and this 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 sense of purpose within yourself and you you get to do it knowing that you're you're helping other people um and so i i think it's very much the thing that that makes human beings human um and and i think it's a great show of how amazing we can be especially when uh if you look at the the state of the world as things currently are, uh, so much looks to be uh, drab and gloomy, um, and I think it's really easy to focus on the negative. And and um, by devoting your energy to going and addressing those problems, it shows that we we can make a difference. We can make the world better. Uh, and I think it creates the right mindset that you need for the rest of your life to go and positively impact other people. It, it makes you a, a more whole person every step of the way yeah definitely I think it's actually shaped me as a person in the way that it gives you purpose as well like Absolutely. I mean I I think I would be in a completely different degree as well at university if it wasn't for like volunteering and community service like women's aid which is where I volunteer like it's given me my passion for filmmaking and um also it's like made me more comfortable walking into a room where I know nobody and like just dive myself <laughs> into conversations and meet new people which is something sure. I definitely wouldn't have done before 
Um, but so like obviously um, you're still the founder of the charity and as you said like you handed over the role of executive director to your sister um, wasn't it yeah because um, you moved to Virginia for college um, so you attend George Mason University um, and I also just want to talk about like an incident that you told me about um, that happened there last year um, so a white supremacist with um, ties to a white supremacist group was admitted to your university and you played a role in community organizing and protesting that this individual's um, admission from the school be revoked so um, what did you do to ensure this person like didn't endanger your community well, I, I first learned about um, this individual being admitted to our school um, through, I believe it was a Colorado Springs uh, anti-fascist website. Um, and so I, I ended up seeing a, a bunch, or rather listening to a bunch of uh, different audio recordings um, of this person uh, basically having very hateful views toward a, a wide variety of, of different groups of people. He was uh, attending um, a, a secondary school in uh, Germany at the time. Um, but I believe that his, his father was active United States military service member. Um, and and I, I heard about this from uh, one of my close friends, uh, Sean Coley. And so he, he told me about um, this individual who was going to be attending George Mason University, and after after reading the profile, after um, understanding how dangerous that this individual was toward the student body, I uh, drafted a, a change.org petition, which um, we were seeing lots of those show up, especially this uh, this summer, um, as we witnessed um, many displays of racial injustice in the United States. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that that was actually a major catalyst as to what made students at my university want to sign that petition and do something. Because I, I think that uh, young people like my age, were, we were looking to do anything we possibly could to go and, and, and fight that injustice. And uh, when we learned that somebody who was antithetical to the values of our university and the values of our student body was coming, we, we had to do something. So uh, this this petition uh, got thousands of signatures. It, it started blowing up on many different social media sites uh, and it, it very quickly got the attention of our, our university's administration. Um, and it was, it, was, uh, it was crazy because initially the response that uh, we ended up getting was was rather lukewarm. Uh, I believe it was the uh, head of admissions, Amy Takayama Perez, and the director of, or the, I believe it was the director of uh, university life or the dean of university life, uh, Rose Pascarell, ended up responding with a uh, a joint letter stating that we might not be able to revoke admission of certain students whose views that don't line up with the values of George Mason University. Basically, a bunch of very uh, vague things that administrators uh, often do or will often say to their student bodies when their students uh, have a concern. And, uh, you know, the, the best uh, phrase I could use to define that would be, uh, would be gaslighting. Uh, I think that that's a pretty common practice that... Um, administrators will, will utilize with students. And again, this isn't me 
talking on all administrators across all universities across the world. But uh, I think that in getting so caught up with the goals of the university, they often lose touch with the immediate safety needs of their students. And uh, one of one of my uh, friends, um, McKenna Bates, who was also uh, very concerned about this issue, uh, wrote a very, uh, very telling um, post on uh, our, our school's general like Facebook group, uh, which expressed her concerns about what this could mean for our, our students, not just uh, in terms of the fact that his, his views were hateful, were against the uh, LGBTQ um, plus community, uh, against the Jewish community, against the, the black community, against any form of what makes George Mason, George Mason. Um, this individual is a, a direct danger. This individual is going to be walking uh, among the hallways with us. They were going to be using the same restrooms that we were, living in the same uh, dormitories that we were. Uh, this was a very dangerous situation and I, and I felt like our school was doing nothing about it. Um, now, I ended up later learning after we continued to mount pressure on our school and, and talk about uh, going to press to um, push the issue even further that uh, this individual was not going to be going to our university, which was a very heartening uh, experience. However, in learning that, um, the telling thing was that we don't know whether or not this student simply chose not to attend or whether or not our university did something. So either way, there was an incredible lack of transparency from our university on this issue in terms of actually addressing the safety of its students and not backing up of its words that it, it stands on the side of social justice. And so it it's almost a bittersweet ending because we were able to mobilize an incredibly large like part of the student body to go and stand up against this issue. But we still have a university which gave us that uh, continued lukewarm response. So it's it's inspiring in the sense that, that we all came together to do that. But we have a lot more to do to get to the point where we're all working together to actually create a, a safer, happier, healthier environment for all Mason students. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a major challenge. It was traumatic, especially for many students who've experienced uh, racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, a, a lot of terrible injustices at, at Mason already and throughout their lives. So um, it was it was heartening to see people jump on it. But I, I also think that we have a lot more work to do. And as things in the U.S. have showed recently, um, racism is continuing to, to rear its ugly head here. Yeah, um, I think like, you know, universities... I think it's horrible, like, you know, like they don't listen to students' concerns right away. You know, it takes a lot more than just an email or, you know, booking an appointment to go in and talk to somebody. You know, it takes petitions and protests. Like, it's crazy because it's obviously ensuring the safety of their students. Um, like, did you start the conversation about this um, person in your community or was this conversation already going on and you wanted to do something about it? Um, like, was your friend who told you, like, in your community? Or were you the person to bring that forward and, like, start that conversation? So he was the first person to make me aware of it. Um, at the time, I was the uh, the president of uh, my college fraternity, Alpha Epsilon Pi, which is a Jewish fraternity. Um, it, was formed in, uh, <clears throat> it, uh, it was formed in the uh, early 20th century in uh, New York City. 
but um, he brought it up to me and then I released a, a Facebook post initially informing people about it. A lot of people were very concerned, freaked out that this was happening and that our school hadn't caught this in the first place. Um, and, and at that point, that's when um, I created the, the change.org petition and uh, we started to mobilize and, and build, uh, build allies within our community so that we could go and, and handle this issue. Uh, and we, we did really quite well. Like I, I've never, or at least had never been a part of something where we mobilized so quickly, but it shows that it can be done. Yeah, and you also wrote an article um, on it, um, which was published mm -hmm. on New York um, Jewish Week, which I found really interesting read. So I, th I think you had problems sending me the link, but I'll try and link it in the description of the episode if people want to check that out. It's basically like more in-depth and about this incident if people want to read it. Um, but another way that you've done your bit, obviously, to ensure like safety in your community or contribute to the safety of your community was um, your support towards the Black Lives Matter movement um, to fight mm -hmm. for racial justice in the US. Um, so what like ways have you supported that movement and started that conversation within like your friend group? Well, you know, I again, I, I think a lot of people within my uh, immediate circle were, were very shaken up after the uh, what what let Point blank is is simply the the murder of Ahmad Arbery and uh, of Ahmad Arbery and um, George Floyd. We like so many people were shaken up to the point where we we felt like we had to do something, and, and many of my my peers were staying home. They they weren't uh, leaving their houses out of concerns for COVID nineteen, especially with relation to their families. And I felt like they wanted to do something. I wanted to do something. Um, even though I couldn't directly leave. And so I think like many people were across the United States and around the world, uh, we decided to uh, hold a fundraiser. So what I did um, when I, again, was, was president of my fraternity was I um, found a certain amount of money that we could commit uh, toward donating. Uh, and then I also... Um, made sure that we published that amount as the amount that we would match for donations that we received for the Black Visions Collective, which is uh, an outstanding uh, Minneapolis-based um, or Minnesota-based nonprofit, which uh, has lobbied for part of the Minneapolis Police Department's budget to be diverted to various programs, which uh, support young people and people in general experiencing uh, homelessness, opioid dependency, and, and mental health issues. Um, and so we, we held this fundraiser over the period of a week, and we were able to raise $684 for the organization, which again, considering that that millions of dollars were raised, it's a small part of that, but um, we we felt like we had to be. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a big thing, I think, when you when you when you put your money where your mouth is, I, I think that it's an important thing that we, we need to do more of. Um, because we need to put money toward the causes that we care about. Because sometimes when your own government isn't stepping in to address these issues, you need to address them yourself and you need to support the organizations which are doing it. And Black Visions Collective was one of the many um, organizations that was uh, addressing the, the challenges of, of police brutality in the United States and trying to provide an alternative um, to heavy, what I would label as militaristic policing measures. Um, and that's the thing. We, we, 
we as, as civilians, especially black Americans, should not have to walk through the streets and, and look at a literal military staring them down. That's, that's crazy. That's, that's unacceptable. And so that's what, uh, that's what we all, we all did together. Um, was really proud of our fundraising efforts. And it's, it's also very in line with, um, a Jewish idea, uh, rooted in the word tikkun olam, which, which means to heal the world. There's, very much a sense of, of social justice rooted in, in Judaism and in being a better Jew and being a better person. Um, and this is something that we all looked uh, very closely at uh, in terms of, of uh, as um, Martin Luther King would have referred to it, uh, bending the mark of the, the oral universe and referring to how it always bends toward justice, bending it just a little bit uh, closer toward it so that we can we can achieve it just a little bit faster. Yeah. Um, and like one last thing for me is what is one thing someone can go out and do today to change the world? Yeah, I, I think the first thing that you can do um, is is do a Google search. And I, I know it sounds a little silly and we, we probably do that all the time, but go look up something that you find yourself caring about and then try and find an issue on that get educated on it, start, start learning more. And, and if you find that you have a passion for it, be like, okay, what, what nonprofits are there that, that do work in this area? If there aren't nonprofits, maybe I should be the person who's a part of that. Maybe I should, um, raise some money. Maybe, uh, when it's my birthday, I should go and say, Hey, on my birthday, I want money to go toward this organization. Or maybe I can go and, and do a social media post with the, with the research that I've done to raise awareness. It's, it's, it's really not difficult. It's, it's easy to start. Um, and I would encourage anybody who, who wants to go and be involved and get involved to do it because, because we, we can do it. We, as I witnessed this summer, like we have the capacity to, to change the world, whether it be in just a, a little way or with one individual interaction with somebody where you help shape their opinion or in massive ways where we raise millions of dollars toward causes that we care about. It's, it's easy to start. And if, if anybody else is listening, I, I encourage you, you start now, right after this podcast. I'm like, I'm not going to encourage anybody to stop the podcast, of course, but like even pause it and go do a search right now. Like I, I'd love to, to hear about that happening after the fact. Yeah, definitely. It's all about finding something you're passionate about and you'll stick with it. And you end up getting a lot more from it, I think, than you know, the cause that you're raising awareness about, certainly, like everyone I've spoke to has said the same thing. Um, but just before you go, how can listeners support Threads of Care? Um, can anyone outside the U.S. support it? Yes, absolutely. Um, so Threads of Care uh, has a fundraiser that they're doing right now. Um, and it's it's on a, a GoFundMe page. The This fundraiser is for COVID-19 relief for impoverished uh, and homeless youth in Nashville. Uh, all that money is going to be going toward meal cards, warm socks, basically the, the essentials that, that people this winter season are, are needing, uh, especially now as they're not getting the support they need when, when unemployment rates are going up. Like it, this this stuff is, is especially needed right now. Um, and... Threads of Care isn't able to do its its regular clothing drives because a lot of students aren't in school and it's it's messy to go and have a bunch of things coming from different people all in one box. It's it's not necessarily best for uh, virus transmissibility. So um, please, please, please donate to that GoFundMe. Uh, Danny, I can send you the link afterward if, if you would like. 
Awesome. Um, other than that, uh, I, I'd say just, just follow, uh, threads of care on Instagram, keep in touch with what they're doing. Um, and, and again, do that, do that simple Google search or, or a Bing search. If you use Bing, I don't, I don't know if anybody else is using anything outside of Google, but generally Google is the thing that people use. So yeah, and I'll link the Instagram and um, all that you can find your website, everything in the description as well. Um, Zach, thank you yeah. so, so much for joining me. It was so much fun catching up as well. It was a pleasure. Remember, if you want to visit our Instagram page, it's at how.tochangetheworld. On the next episode, I will be talking to Anne Nygaard from Idaho, USA. She is the founder of the nonprofit organization Running for Refugees, where she distributes donated running shoes to refugees in her community and teaches them the health benefits of running. Thank you for tuning in to How to Change the World. Bye.